0: our Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you are here in person or on the live stream, we offer a very warm welcome to you. And if you are here in person for the very first time this morning, if you're a first time visitor, we are very appreciative for you. We hope that as you came in, out of the cold, into the warm sanctuary, you were greeted and brought to our welcome center where you could get a wonderful bag of goodies. That includes, I personally love the 22 ounce tumblers. They are absolutely (laughs) awesome. They're favorites of mine and gives you a little information as well about the church. So we are glad you're here. And if you're on the end of an aisle, we would like you and ask you to get started our friendship pads. And this is for everyone, visitors and longtime members alike. Let us know that you are here and we would love to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. This morning, we are blessed to be able to come to the Lord's table. So after hearing the word, we will then go before the Lord and uh, celebrate that feast and that at the table. So we hope we've prepared our hearts and are ready for that. And then quick reminder that uh, after the service, today is the culmination of what we've been calling LOPC 2.0. And after the service... Everyone is invited. Don't let anybody tell you there's not enough food. Okay, if they do, look, I look like I could share food. I will give you my plate. I guarantee you there's plenty of food. That is not an excuse. And don't let the cold be an excuse. You ought to see what the deacons have done. They have heaters. They have, what do you call them, curtains all the way around with windows to let light in I mean, it is phenomenal down there. There is absolutely no... If we need to, we'll get big screen TV for football games. We'll do whatever we have to do to celebrate together. But that's what we want to do. We've called LOPC 2.0, celebrating our past, building our future together, and while we're there, we'll announce what the results of the campaign are, and we will praise and glorify the Lord together. If you haven't given a pledge card and you're interested, there is a box. Yvonne Beasley came in this morning to stand by that. You can get a pledge card and an envelope, fill it out, do whatever. So if you haven't had a chance, we still make time for you to do that. And so turn it in after the service. Our LOPC history books are now available for pickup. So if you signed up to receive one, stop by the church office during regular business hours and you can get your copy. Books are $40 each if you still need to pay for that, so you can do that. If you haven't signed up but would like a copy, we have a few extra available. I would say see Yvonne if you have any questions regarding that. Inquirer's class coming up on December 2nd and 3rd. You have an insert in your bulletin. Fill that out or contact Yvonne at the office in terms of signing up for that. The deadline for that is November 28th. And then just to let you know, I will be away this week until the day after Thanksgiving. I would certainly, I'm here with, I have a great deal of joy over worshiping together with my church family, over being together, 2.0 celebrating that, but I have to admit our family has a bit of a heavy heart in that Evie's mother passed away last evening, and so she is not here. We will be going to South Carolina more than likely, if not later today, uh, early tomorrow morning, and so we certainly appreciate your prayers. Our new youth director, Travis Skillingstad, will be preaching next Lord's Day. And so, very excited. Come on out and hear Travis proclaim the word of God next Sunday uh, in terms of church. So those are some of the things that, oh, sheds of hope. Dick, you told me you were going to wave, wave your hand. I, I even looked at you and you weren't waving over there. <laughs> Correction in the bulletin. Sheds of hope, the bill tomorrow starts at 1 o'clock, not at 9 o'clock. And so, guys, sleep in a little bit. Stay up late for Sunday night football. Invite a friend over to do that. And the build is at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Did I get that right? Okay. Long list of announcements. The Lord is active. He's in our midst. He's doing a lot. Let's prepare our hearts now for worship. worship this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Father, we thank you for what is going on in worship. This is not an ordinary time. Heaven and earth have met together. You dwell amongst us, you walk amongst us, and we praise you. We have come right now to the city of the living God where we are gathering with innumerable angels of the heavenly host to proclaim your glory and your kingship. Lord, we invoke your name to join with us as we celebrate, as we rejoice, as we sing and pray our praises to you. We ask, Father, that you would open our hearts to experience your love and kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing, This
1: Is My Father's World. Seated.
0: That though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world, the battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be won. God's new world is our hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, not death, gets the final word. But too often, our hearts seem like Teflon, doesn't it though? Where the Word of God, we believe it intellectually, but it just can kind of slide and skim off our hearts. It doesn't penetrate us deeply so that our lives overflow with the power of the Spirit of God and the power of the gospel. And so we have need of confession Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And that's going to be different for each one of us. What are the things that hold you back? What are the weights that hold you down? And the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, the race that God has sovereignly set for you. Take a few moments to personally confess before the Lord and engage with him. And in a few moments, I will lead us in and we will pray our corporate confession of sin together. Let us pray. Let us pray together. Almighty, eternal God and Father, we confess and acknowledge unto you that we were conceived in unrighteousness and are full of sin and transgression in all our life. We do not fully believe your word nor follow your holy commandments. Remember your goodness, we beseech you, and for your name's sake, be gracious unto us. And forgive us our iniquity, which, alas, is great. Amen. And friends, receive the assurance of pardon, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The key to transformation, to renewal in our life is right there, looking to Jesus. But I'm afraid that instead of looking, fixing our eyes, gazing upon Jesus, we tend to take glances. We glance at Jesus and go on with our normal life. We glance at Jesus and make that next phone call. We glance at Jesus and find out what's on the news, rather than gazing and fixing our eyes at Jesus and then we wonder why there's so little power in our lives in our midst the gospel is the power of god my friends for the salvation of all who believe in him let's be a church that has our eyes our gaze firmly fixed on jesus our lord and our savior let's stand and sing before the throne of god above (laughs) This morning in prayer, we will together recite the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in our time of prayer. And one more prayer request that I would encourage us uh, to pray as well. We got a message from Brenda Hill just before service that Jerry was taken to the hospital. He was having some aspiration, and so they needed to deal with that. So along with so much going on in our lives, in the world, let's call on the Lord You know, there's this verse in Colossians chapter 3, right after Paul has said, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that we are to clothe ourselves. And he lists these traits, which are really the characteristics of Christ. It's about being Christ-like. And then there's this one little verse that says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's one little line. You know how easy it is to just kind of look over that verse and what a powerful verse that is? Let the peace of Christ, what does it mean for something to rule, to have dominion, to dominate? I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. I like to be a doer. I like to fix things. And yet here we are called to have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Friends, let's call on the Lord. Let's depend upon him. Let's turn from our self-reliance in a time of communion and of prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are our Father, that you are our shepherd, that you have come down to us to rescue us, to reclaim us, that our names truly are graven on your hands, our names truly are written on your heart. We praise you for such immeasurable love. The Apostle Paul wrote it that it was the height and the width, the depth and the length of the love of Christ. The love that surpasses knowledge. And we all, no matter what we're going through, need to rely on your love, not as some warm, fuzzy feeling, but truly as the most dominant, most powerful, more, most transformative force in the world. And so, Lord, we turn from our own independence, our own autonomy, we turn from our self reliance, we turn from what makes sense to us, and we turn to you for grace. And for sustenance. There are many in our midst that need grace in a special way. Lord, I pray for Brenda and Jerry Hill right now, and I lift them before you. I ask, Father, that you would be with nurses and doctors caring for Jerry, that the peace of Christ would rule in Brenda's heart. We pray that over her right now. Lord, we continue to think of Bill Bonner and Susan Porter, Carol Oxford, and so many others that are hurting, and we ask that you would be with them. Lord, I pray for my own dear wife and ask that you would sustain her, that your comfort and peace would be with her, that she would know your love, that your peace would rule in her heart. And Father, I thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the body of Christ here at Lake Oconee that are ambassadors for Christ in this part of the world. And so, Lord, today as we conclude this campaign that we've called LOPC 2.0, we praise you for what you've done in our midst. Lord, as I think of getting together in more than 20 intimate small groups together, what a joy it's been to get to know people, to see people getting to know, to hear feedback. Lord, how encouraging it is. And, Father, for people's generosity in their hearts and commitment to this vision, which is a bold vision. Lord, we thank you for how you've raised up so many. And Father, we pray for the implementation of this vision. We pray that LOPC would be salt and light in this community. The world does not need another program, it needs the hope of the gospel. When will we be convinced of that? And so, Lord, teach us. Lord, I know that renewal is not something that we can will. We can come up with, we can concoct, we can organize. Renewal is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I cry out to you, Holy Spirit, come, fill us. Bring glory to Jesus by taking from what is His and making it known and declaring it and making it huge in our hearts. Forgive us for having such a small Jesus. Lord, thank you for our time to commune with you. We pray as we continue to worship. Lord, I pray for the message to come, that what we would give people is Jesus. We'd preach Christ and Him crucified. Lord, I thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning we are completing our campaign, LOPC 2.0, and it really is a celebration. It is a time to look back and to say how kind, how gracious, how good and faithful God has been to us to birth this church, this witness to his resurrection in this place that I only came to hear of two years ago for the first time, Lake Oconee, and I have come and grown to just absolutely Lord. This is my home and I'm excited about that. And the fact that we have the opportunity and the call, it's a call to faith and a call to action to build a future together where that witness to the resurrection doesn't just stay here but goes into the community, the hope of the gospel. Now I'm gonna preach this morning from a favorite text of mine. I've preached it before. I will preach it again. I make no apologies for doing that. It's Isaiah chapter 6. And I'm doing it for a particular reason. You know, I have a confession to make. I am not a very good, what you'd call, how-to guy. Okay? Either physically or spiritually. You know, there's a reason when we first moved here, okay, and we had a house, brand new construction, we were getting all new furniture and stuff like that, Evie ordered all of these pieces of furniture from Ikea. The deacons remember this. Twenty-nine different pieces. because, Of course, you buy something from Ikea, and it doesn't just come table and chair. You know, it's six chairs around a table and stuff like that. And, of course, Jeff doesn't even know what a screwdriver is. I am not a how-to kind of person. Same thing happens spiritually. I mean, spiritually, I am great, ask the elders sometime. I bet you I drive them crazy because I have big ideas, bold plans. I'm a big picture visionary. I need help sometimes with the how-tos. Now, one of the reasons I love Isaiah 6 is it is, I think, as close as we can get to a how-to experience spiritual and gospel renewal. Tim Keller says that the key to spiritual renewal is a continual rediscovery of the gospel. And this passage gives us as clear a picture of how to live. gives us as clear a process of how to pursue spiritual awakening, spiritual renewal, gospel renewal. So let's read the text from Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Let's pray together. Father, please send Holy Spirit to take your word and apply it to our hearts, both individually and as a church. That you would choose to renew us, to take basic doctrinal points and intensify them so that we are transformed, so that we are changed. We can't do this on our own. We are helpless. And so we cry out to you open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the power of your resurrection, the glorious hope of the inheritance in the saints that we share together, the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promise your word does not return void, but accomplishes what you set out for it to accomplish. Lord, what great freedom that gives us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I believe this text gives us a wonderful snapshot of who we are to be as individual believers and as a church. And I want to propose that we need to be a people captured by, gripped by, transformed by, saturated in the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need continual, ongoing gospel renewal. Isaiah was called and commissioned by God to bring spiritual reality to the people of God. And my proposition to you is this. Renewal leads to mission. As a matter of fact, I'll word the proposition this way. If we see that we are just inward-facing, turned in upon ourselves, kind of doing church as the status quo, consumer of maybe good spiritual goods... But not being outward focused, we are not being renewed in the gospel. The solution is not better programs. The solution is gospel renewal. For renewal will always propel us outward to mission. Gospel renewal leads to gospel mission. In verse 1 we read, Isaiah was called in the year of King Uzziah's death. That's the 8th century B.C., around 739 B.C. And Uzziah's reign was not unlike or too unlike the times we live in today. Uzziah lived in a time of incredible wealth, incredible prosperity, but by the time of his death, the nation of Judah was in utter spiritual decline. Because here's one of the truths. Prosperity in and of itself is not wrong. But prosperity has a danger in it of it can breed complacency. It can easily lead to complacency, a thinking that we can coast, that everything is fine, everything is good. Prosperity can lead us to forget that all of life is stewardship. A writer by the name of Tom Lutz says, everything we have, everything, resources, skills, relationships, connections, influence, and so on, has been entrusted to us by God for the fulfillment of God's purposes. Isaiah is called into the spiritual decline and commissioned to bring spiritual reality to the people of God. In it, he speaks of the triumph of grace. That grace triumphs, and that grace changes everything. I wonder if we really believe that, that grace changes everything. And we learn in this text that gospel renewal involves four things. Here comes the how-to. This is as close to a how-to sermon as you're ever going to hear me preach, because I'm big picture. I don't like how-tos. But how to experience gospel renewal involves four things. That means four disciplines, four practices. If you want something to go through, here's what we need to continually daily go through. We need to be stunned by supremacy, staggered by sin, shocked by salvation in order to be sent to serve. Notice a theme? Yes, this Presbyterian pastor used alliteration this morning. Don't tell Brian Chappell on that one. I know we're not often supposed to use alliteration, but it worked for this one. We are to be stunned by supremacy, staggered by sin, in order to be shocked by salvation so that we can be called and sent to serve. Look at me with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. We need to understand, in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah's long and prosperous reign had now entered troubled waters. Internationally, there was a man in 745 BC, his name was Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria, and he threatened the sovereignty of the Israelite states. So here's Uzziah as the darkness of death is closing in upon him. This is symbolic of Isaiah's view of the nation. It's plight and it's problem. And it's during this time of anxiety, of chaos, of insecurity that Isaiah has this manifestation of the Lord in his glory. Look at the picture of this because it's an absolutely incredible one. It is of God seated on a throne. What does that mean? It's a picture of the kingship of of God. This is God as king, angelic attendants around him, holding session with his royal court. Every detail of this picture speaks of awe, of wonder, and of transcendence. Now we live in a culture today that questions the reality of transcendence, and we live in a culture that needs to know that the transcendent is real. And if you look at this picture, you get to verses 2 and 3 where we're met with the seraphs covering their faces and their feet, flying about the sovereign Lord singing His praises. They're not able to fully gaze into the Lord's glory. They're obviously caught up in the worship of the Lord, singing both His holiness and His glory. We need to recognize that gospel re- begins, gospel renewal begins by being stunned by the glory and the sovereignty and the supremacy of God. The otherness and the bigness of God. When these seraph call out holy, 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 this is not holiness plus one, plus one. This is a completely other and different category. This is the complete otherness of God. Gospel renewal begins where rather than just saying, well, I know the doctrine of God's holy, we have an overwhelming sense of the awesomeness of God. It's intensified in our being. And then he says, the whole earth is full of his glory. Ray Ortland puts it this way. He says, do you realize that it is God's will to make this earth into an extension of his throne room in heaven? Do you realize that it is God's will for his kingdom of glory to come into your life and for his will to be done in you as it is done in heaven? Heaven is expanding, spreading in your direction. That is the meaning of your existence if you will accept it and enter in. Heaven is taking over and we are called to yield. We've been saying over and over in our 2.0 meetings, that we are at a crossroads. If heaven is expanding in every direction because the whole earth is full of His glory, does that sound like just coasting and doing church as the status quo? We should have a holy discontent with the status quo. The whole earth is full of His glory. Being stunned into supremacy means that we should have a holy discontent with things as they are. We should be adventurous in a bold vision, especially as we go through and find out we have nothing to lose. Look at the reaction to the presence and the glory of the Lord. It reminds us of the picture at Mount Sinai. Remember at Mount Sinai when Moses was coming down from the mountain? The Israelites assembled before the mountain. What was the scene there? It was one of cataclysmic proportions. Thunder, lightning, cloud, trumpet blasts. Can you imagine what Isaiah must have been feeling and experiencing as he says, I saw the Lord. I'm in the divine presence. And when we remember, when we come to worship, what did Hebrews 12 say? You have come to Mount Zion. Is the presence of God a casual thing? Where we just come casually, ho-hum, as we are into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords? See, I don't think Isaiah is going, wow, this is pretty cool. This is kind of chill. I'm just going to kind of go and hang out. The text says that he saw the Lord, an experience that would normally lead to what? Lead to death. What was Moses told? When Moses asked the Lord to show him his face, which is a bold prayer. I want that kind of vision. He says, Lord, show me your glory. The Lord responds by saying, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And in the text before us, the doorposts and the thresholds prohibit Isaiah's entry into the divine presence, just as smoke forbids him to come close to God. The divine nature, as it is, by itself, is such an active force of total exclusion. How can the unholy come into the presence of the holy? And let's ask ourselves the question, Why does Isaiah not die instantaneously? Where is the death? What is going on? Look with me at verse 5. He is staggered by sin. Verse 5 says, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In verse 1, he says he saw the Lord, and we ask why he didn't die. Here in verse 5, he is ruined because he has seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Recognize when he says, woe is me, do you know what he's doing there? He is pronouncing a curse on himself. What Isaiah is doing is he is dying to himself. He is pronouncing the sentence of death on himself. As Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. You recognize, friends, renewal is not possible without dying to self. Jack Miller, who started World Harvest Mission back almost 40 years ago now, it's now Surge Ministries, He always used to give talks, and in the talks, I think I've shared this with you before, he would have these three lines. Three, he called them cheer-ups. The first one would be, cheer up, friends. You're a whole lot worse than you think. And then his second one is he would say, cheer up, friends. You are so more loved than you could ever dare hope, dream, or imagine. Too often we stop there. That's the gospel, right? We're worse than we think sin and the gospel. Through Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection, we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And then we stop there. That's the crossroads this way. That's coasting. But Jack would have a third cheer up. And I think this is a key to gospel renewal. He would say, Friends, cheer up and come and die, for it's a great way to come life. He wrote in his book, Repentance in 20th Century Man, he said, the truly repentant sinner has discovered through the renewing work of the Holy Spirit that all his doing is full of sin. His doing is the source of his wretched emptiness, his black depression, and his self-despising. Now he has come undone. He turns from his sinful doing to trust in what Christ has done. This is the essence of repentance. Listen to Isaiah. Isaiah. Because this is the how-to of gospel renewal. Isaiah doesn't say, oh, I'm a sinner and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm not just glancing over that. That verse is absolutely true. But do you know what that verse actually means? That means, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm at the end of myself. I can't help myself. I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. I am dead. Woe is me, I pronounce a curse on myself and we see the why of his coming undone, it becomes clear. Why? Because he saw the Lord. The sight of the holiness and awesomeness and glory of the Lord leads to his becoming undone. This knowledge of God brings a new knowledge of self, which, friends, let me tell you, that's why we just glance at God. This sounds too radical to us, which is why we skim on the surface of our Christianity, and it doesn't penetrate deep And there's so little change. See, do you want to know why we don't experience regular, ongoing, continual renewal? We don't want to die. We want to hold on to our preferences, our agenda, what makes sense to us, our background. We want to hold on to all of that. We don't want to experience what Isaiah do? We despise it. We want to hold on to our lives and our control. We want to remain intact. To come undone, thats you might be sitting here a little uncomfortable right now going, Jeff, you're pushing the envelope a little too much. Time to stop. To come undone is a little bit too drastic. We may be willing to admit we are sinners to a degree, but to come undone, that is too much. Remember what Jesus says, whoever wants to find life must lose it. You must die to yourself. See, we have to die to our own works righteousness, our own self-righteousness. You might be sitting out there, you might be saying, but wait a second, I'm a hard worker, I'm responsible, I'm a good family person, I'm a good parent or grandparent, does not matter. In a sense, God is saying, I don't care about those things. Do you not realize that your best works, no matter how hard a worker you are, how responsible you are, how good a mother or father you are, no matter how good a husband or wife you are, Isaiah 64, 6 says it's like filthy rags in a sight. We're talking about gospel renewal here. If you want to experience ongoing, continuous renewal, We must be open to and consciously seek to be confronted with both God's glory and our sin. We must not be afraid of seeing our sin. How does that happen? How does God respond to our sin? We have to be shocked by salvation. See, immediately after Isaiah pronounces a curse on himself, look at verse 6. It begins with the words, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongues from the altar. See, immediately Isaiah says, Woe is me, and one of the seraphs flew to, flew to me. You know what that means? That means God sent the seraphs. God was drawn to Isaiah's brokenness, took the initiative, and immediately sent the seraph. Do we understand? See, we would look at our sin more openly. We would not be so afraid of admitting our faults, if we were shocked and stunned by the grace of God. They went at the Lord's initiative. The Lord is attracted and drawn to brokenness. When you're brokenness, He sends grace your way. That is the nature and the character of God. It was the Lord who revealed, who initiated, who sent, and who saves And notice that the live coal which was brought to Isaiah was from the altar. That is very significant because back in Leviticus chapter 6, we read the fire on the altar must be kept burning. In other words, it's a perpetual fire. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning. It must not go out. See, why is this so important? It is so important because the perpetual fire on the altar goes beyond symbolizing divine wrath, for the altar was also the place where the holy God accepted and was satisfied by blood sacrifice. So when the seraphs take the coal from the altar and apply it, touch it to Isaiah's lips, much more than just the fire was being signified. The coal came from the altar and the altar was the place whereby blood sacrifice through substitutionary sacrifice atonement was made. And listen to what he says. What this means. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. You are completely forgiven. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation. Do you know, friends, if we really, if this penetrated deep down, we would be so less afraid to admit our faults. We'd be so less afraid to try to save ourselves by our own works righteousness, having to always prove ourselves and vindicate ourselves and validate ourselves. We'd be less critical, less defensive if we would believed we were completely forgiven. And see, from our perspective, where does this occur? Where does this happen? It's accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice, atonement for our sins is made. All of these ideas, holiness, justice, love, atonement, come together on the cross of Jesus Christ. Our greatest need for continual renewal is to be completely tethered continually to the cross. And what are the implications of this? What are the implications of this passage? We're sent to serve. This is where renewal leads to mission. Verse 7 says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin for you. Think about it, friends. If God is for you, who can be against you? Do we really believe this? Do you know how different we would be if that's really sunk down deep? That no charge, no accusation can be brought against you. You cannot lose. We wouldn't be so allergic to change if we believed, if God is for you, who can be against you? We could give up control. We could give up trying to prove ourselves. And look with me at verse 8, because this is where grace triumphs. Now Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isn't this interesting? Before he was completely excluded from that royal throne room, that royal court. Now he's hearing the voice of the Lord. Isaiah is hearing the voice of the Lord saying, I need a volunteer. We know how people jump, right? Can you imagine if I said right now to you, I need a volunteer, somebody who's going to go. You'd all be jumping up right now, so filled with the gospel. Isaiah is hearing the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And immediately he says, Here I am. He doesn't even know what the mission is yet. He hasn't even been told what the mission is. But he's saying, I'm your guy. I'm your man. What has happened? His heart. Grace propels us like being shot out of a rocket. It propels us outward. And grace triumphs. Renewal brings forth the fruit of mission. This is the propulsion of grace. And friends, this is the basic identity of the church. The church is a place where grace reigns, where grace triumphs. And the church is God's sent people Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. You realize the church exists not to be great itself, but not to make itself great, but to be sent into the community. That's what we've been talking about with LOPC 2.0. Gospel renewal remembers its mission to be a sent church. In The Lord of the Rings, you know how I love that novel. There's this place where Frodo was talking to one of the elves at the beginning of his journey. He's still in his own land, his own home. And we know how we like our home, don't we? It's comfortable. It's safe. It's familiar. It's secure. And all of a sudden, Frodo sees a little danger is starting to sneak in. And he's beginning to get anxious. And so he asks, has this danger even reached the shire? You can almost hear us. Has the danger of the secular world out there reached even Lake Oconee? Has the danger of the world out there reached us? Can I even walk in my own homeland in peace? And the elf answers him, the wide world is all about you. You can fence yourselves in, but you cannot forever fence it out. The world is all about us, and our identity is we are stewards of God's kingdom. If we're not dead, we're not done. And that means we are called to demonstrate and be agents of the rule and reign of God. We need to have the courage. If God is for us, who can be against us? There's therefore now no condemnation. So there's no reason for us not to have the courage to ask ourselves the The question, are we trying to fence ourselves in? Are we trying to keep ourselves safe? Why? God is for us. Why don't we allow ourselves to be gripped by God's glory? Gripped by our own need. Gripped by His grace to us. So that that grace can propel us outward to be agents of God's kingdom in the world. Father, I pray for you to renew my heart continually. I forget this gospel all the time. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me a sense of your awesomeness, that I would be stunned by your supremacy, staggered by my sin, shocked that you would save me so that we could be sent to serve. Lord, bring gospel renewal to our midst. And even now as we go to your table, Father, I ask that we would be tethered to the cross, that we would see your invitation for us to come, that we would see we we don't serve in our own strength. We do this in the power of the Spirit, showing us Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing together as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. The first three verses of Alas and... you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you are a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of his church, you are invited to come to this table this morning. If you have seen the holiness of God, if you have confessed and admitted and acknowledged that you've turned away from him, that you're undone, woe is me, I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But through the cross of Jesus, God sent Jesus. Jesus came down. And the coal has touched your lips. You have by faith taken the work of Christ. You're not trying to save yourself. You've trusted in him for salvation. If you've done that, you're invited to come to this table. And if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that now. My heart would be that today would be the day of salvation for you. That the power of God would come into your life, you could pray a simple prayer saying, Father, accept me because of the work of Jesus. It really is that simple that we turn from trusting in ourselves, trusting in our hard work, our responsibility, our morality, whatever it might be, our being a good person, recognizing those things in the sight of God are filthy rags. But God sent Jesus that through his body of death to reconcile us to him, that he did the work. Maybe the most challenging thing for us to do is to receive that. And it's as we receive that, that we can be renewed. And this is Jesus' table. He's the Lord of this table, and he's inviting you to be a recipient of his grace. He's inviting, come unto me, he says, all you who are weary, who are tired, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. That's a spiritual rest. Get off the hamster wheel of trying to be good enough and rest in Jesus. And then we live for him from that rest. So, friends, I would love for every person here who's receiving this offer of the gospel to receive this good news and to come to Christ as a gift by simple faith and trust. Let's pray together and ask God to set apart these elements for their holy an extraordinary use this morning. Father, thank you for your institution of this supper, that you invite us to come, that you have opened your arms wide, that you've given us this, this hospitality. Lord, we absolutely praise you for your generosity, and we receive your grace this morning. And pray now, Father, that you would set apart these elements for their holy use. Strengthen us, nourish us, nurture us. We confess our need for you, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Do this in remembrance of me. same manner, our Savior also took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all of it. Your word tells us, Father, that once we were alienated from you, hostile in mind because of our Evil deeds. But now in Christ, by his body of death on the cross, you have reconciled us. You have brought us to yourself to present us before you holy and blameless and above reproach. Lord, thank you. What words can we say to thank you for the glory and the beauty and the wonder? the amazement of that news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you instituted this sacrament as a means where we could be fed and filled by your steadfast love and mercy and grace. I pray, Father, that as we leave that, Lord, you would continue to renew and transform us in and through this message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd ask you to stand as we sing the last two verses of Alas and Did My Savior Bleed, and then I will give the benediction and I will also pray for our meal so that you can get down there and enjoy and begin celebrating. We do want to be a church that parties well, and so let's close out our service singing these last two verses. Here this morning, we aim and seek to glorify you as we head down to the pavilion to enjoy a meal together. We ask that you would nourish our bodies with this food. We thank you for feeding us, for loving us. We celebrate together what you've done in our past. We anticipate building our future together. We pray that you would be present, that you would be honored in our time together. And now, I invite the people of God to receive your blessing, your benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.